what is the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist? Why do we come together on Sunday mornings here at Faith and uh, prioritize this as opposed to sleeping in or you know, going to work out or going, going to watching TV or, or whatever it is that we would normally do on a Sunday morning. I see, you know, we probably see this all the time as you're driving maybe through, uh, we went a few weeks ago over to uh, the restaurant over here at the pump house and as we were coming after church, we, all these people busting out canoes and kayaks and stuff like that. I think, well, that's what they do on Sunday mornings. So, you know, there's people that do different things on Sunday mornings, but you all have decided and prioritized coming to church. Why? Why do we do this? Is it because that's what you're supposed to do? Is that because it's just part of the uh, tradition of why I've done it all my life? Or, hey, you know, it's just the cultural thing. Why do we come to church? Why do we even, why does the church even exist? We're going to look at that, especially in these last days as we see the return of the Lord. I want to say it's the imminent return of the Lord. I believe it could be any moment. You hear me say that all the time, but I want to keep that in front of you. Because I believe the Lord could come back today. He can come back before the end of this service and we could be caught up in the rapture in the twinkling of an eye. We look around in the world today and this is not business as usual what's going on in the world today. It's, it's, it's ramping up quickly and it's ramping up sharply in the areas that are termed, there's turmoil and disarray and chaos all around the world. And not only that, but there also is a, a very marked uh, expression of rejecting Jesus, rejecting holiness, rejecting the things that, are, uh, that have been part of our culture, at least in the United States, and uh, uh, over, the, over the hundreds of years. And it seems like in the last several years especially, just quickly, that they're just throwing that out and not just throwing out the things of Christ, but actually um, boldly and proudly embracing evil, the things uh, of, of, uh, that are of Satan, the things that are, that are opposite of what Jesus is all about, what the Word of God is all about. And we see, us, we see the world kind of hurtling headlong into what I believe is the tribulation coming up. The wrath of God will be poured out upon a a world and a, a people that have rejected wholesale the things of Christ and embraced the things of Satan. That's exactly what's going on. I can't be any more plain than that. And so we wonder what we can do as a church to make a difference in that. Because when we see that happening, we think, well, okay, I know Jesus is coming back and I know we're just kind of just right before that. So what must we do? And as we just saw in this graphic here, our mission, it seems overwhelming, but our mission is not impossible. Our mission is possible, and I believe that the Lord has given us all that we need. I'm convinced that the Lord has given us all that we need to be effective, to be powerful, to, be, to, to fulfill His purposes for why the church exists. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks to kind of maybe recalibrate our hearts as to, and our understanding as to why do we even do this? Why are we here on Sunday mornings? Why church? There's five different uh, primary uh, aspects or personalities or components of the church that I want us to look at, one each week. Uh, we have worship, we have ministry, we have evangelism, we have fellowship, and we have discipleship. Uh, those five components are, are what we can and will successfully uh, 
use as part of those components to fulfill our mission. If we look at Acts chapter 2, turn with me there, and we're going to use this as our template over the next several weeks. Acts chapter 2 was the birth of the church. We see in the beginning part of Acts chapter 2 where they were gathered in the upper room and, and uh, the Holy Spirit fell. They spoke in unknown tongues. They began to declare the glory of the Lord. Thousands were added daily as Peter went out and preached as a result of what was going on. It drew the people's attention. Thousands were added to the church that day, and the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, and we read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. We fast forward to the end of that chapter, verse 42 through 47, and we see this newly formed, newly birthed church and what they were doing at the beginning as it was fresh and unencumbered by rules and religion and process and all of that that kind of has happened over the years in church. We see this fresh, clean, new baby that was born, uh, and this is what they did. Listen to this. In verse 42 is where it begins. By the way, how many is glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? I just love the presence of the Lord in this place. Here we go. It says, they devoted themselves they being the people, the believers, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, that's discipleship, okay? The apostles' teaching is discipleship. That, we're going to learn more about that later, but that's where you grow up in the things of the Lord. You grow in your knowledge and understanding and relationship with the discipleship. And to fellowship. Well, that's fellowship. So we're going to look what that fellowship is in the next several weeks as, as well. So there's discipleship and fellowship. That's what they devoted themselves to. Also to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The breaking of bread is actually what we did this morning. We broke the bread, communion, and we received the juice. The breaking of bread and prayer is worship. Both of those are acts of worship. The breaking of bread and prayer is an act of worship. So there's one of the three elements, worship. One of the five elements, rather. Everyone was filled with awe at the modern, many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. Well, that's ministry. There was things going on where there was signs and wonders. There was activity. There was action going on. There was function going on out of this, whatever's going on in the church. It was going out beyond the four walls with signs and wonders. That's ministry. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's fellowship. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. That's again ministry, going out beyond the four walls, taking care of the folks in the church and outside of the church and the community. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Well, there's fellowship, worship, and discipleship all together right there. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's fellowship. That's worship. Praising God. There's worship again. And enjoying the favor of all people, of all the people, and meaning all in the community. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's evangelism. Those are the five different things repeated over and over again in those several verses. Today, I want us to look at worship. Worship, I believe, is the foundation of what the rest of these things are built on. Remember the last several weeks we preached, I was talking about the fruit of the Spirit and how there's this vertical sort of activity going on this way between us and God, and then it, horizontally out this way between us and other people. I believe worship is the same way. Worship, of all the different five aspects of the church, worship is the one activity that is vertical between us and God. We don't worship people. We, worship, we don't worship activities. We, don't worship, we shouldn't. We worship God. We worship Jesus. And so what we just did in these last several minutes here leading up to this time in the Word is that we worshiped. And all the songs that we were singing about all had, were singing to the King. There is none like you. We were singing to Him. We were declaring His goodness. It wasn't about how great we are or how great the world is. It was all about pointing our attention, our heart, our passion, our worship 
to Jesus. That's what we were doing in that time together. It's not just an automatic function of the church, but it was an engagement and relationship with him. So I believe that out of that worship that we can have, that foundation, that we can then effectively minister, disciple, evangelize, and even fellowship the way that Jesus would have us to. Remember that, that whole thing about vertical today and then, and then worship as it goes out from, from, from that time of worship with him that it can go out this way in that vertical relationship that we have established with Jesus. So we need to understand that we have an understanding of a proper biblical worship is what we need to, what we look at today. So, so that way we can be the most effective church in these last days leading up to the return of Jesus. So first let me say this. The church is not an organization, not like anything else in the world today. It's not some nameless, faceless, heartless, money-making machine whose biggest concern is the bottom line of profit and loss. Churches don't exist, or at least they shouldn't exist, for the purpose of how, how much property we have, how big buildings we have, how much money we have in the bank, anything like that. It has, should have nothing to do with that. It's not an organization. The church is an organism. It's a living, breathing, growing body whose main goal and bottom line is to proclaim Jesus to the world. That's why the church exists, is to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's our mission that we just talked about. Our mission is to proclaim Jesus. We declare the saving, we declare the healing, we declare the delivering good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Our Bottom line is not how much money we have in the bank, but how many souls that we have led to Christ for God's kingdom. And while we must be incorporated with the state, we got to legally cross the T's and dot the I's with all of those things. We focus not on our brand. We don't focus on our reputation. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with the worldly organizations that, that, those, that they put their efforts into. We put our focus on representing Jesus, and we put our focus on representing him well. We represent his love. We represent his power. We represent his salvation. We represent his hope to a lost and dying world. That's why the church exists, to represent Christ to the world. And we gather here today so that we can find out who is Jesus, and how can I represent him better out beyond these four walls? So, it all begins with an authentic biblical worship. So, what is worship? Hope you're taking notes today. If not, I'll give you a few moments to break out your paper and pen and take down some notes. This is very important. Please write these things down. You'll see some of them on the screen. So rather than define what worship is, I'd like to start off by de defining what worship isn't, okay? Worship isn't contained. Worship isn't contained, okay? So now, by the way, we're all experts at containing things, for some of us who are in the working uh, time in our lives, we work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 typically, right? So we contain that between Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. If we're going to school, if we're school age here, we're going to go to school maybe from 8 to 3, Monday through Friday, something like that, you know? And we, we contain things. We, we, we do certain things at certain places for certain periods of time, and we move from one thing to the next, and we check off the boxes as we, as we go through our weeks, don't we? I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. How many's got a check? How many use a checkoff list every, whenever you do? I know I do. I, on Monday morning, I'm putting down, as, okay, here's the things I got to do this week. Check, 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 check. I, I love, uh, this is just the way it works for me. Some people kind of do it haphazard. I got to have it in front of me, and it gives me that, some incentives like, all right, man, I'm making progress because that, that list is getting shorter by the end of the week. It feels good, you know? And often we do that, don't we? We just kind of check off worship the same way. 
we come in and we say, okay, 10 o'clock, I'm going to come in, we're going to hear the whatever announcements, open in prayer, check that off, we're going to check off the worship, we're going to do two, two three songs, maybe four, check, communion, check, okay, now, now we're going to watch the video, it says check, okay, worship, word, check, okay, now we're going to, you know, maybe stand up, do a hoo-hoo, check, okay, now we're going to get out of here. Now we're going to get out of here, and then now it's launch. And then we we'll move on to the next thing. We compartmentalize things. And, and worship becomes a thing that we do to compartmentalize. Our time with the Lord becomes a 90-minute event that we compartmentalize to a Sunday morning from 10 to 11.30-ish. Don't hold me to the 11.30 part, okay? But, you know, 10 o'clock definitely. We start at 10. By the way, we start at 10 o'clock, you guys, okay? So 10 o'clock for everybody. But worship is not an event, Worship cannot be contained in a 90-minute event. Worship to the Lord can't. Because worship is not an event. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. Psalm 34, 1 says this, I will bless the Lord 90 minutes on Sunday morning. I will bless the Lord from 10 to 1130 on Sunday morning. I will bless the Lord... 50% of the time, I will bless the Lord occasionally. I will bless the Lord from 9 to 5, Monday to... No, I will bless the Lord how much? At all times. Say it with me. At all times. Say it again. At all times. I will bless the Lord. It's an act of our will. It's a choice we make. It's a decision that we move forward in. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall most of the time be in my mouth. His praise shall occasionally be in my mouth. His praise shall mm, Sunday mornings from 10 to 11.30 be in my mouth. No, his praise will always be on my lips. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, right? Believers in the new church praised God and enjoyed favor with all the people. They worshiped. Yeah, their worship was corporate. Yeah, they got together like this, I'm sure. But they didn't get together in a building. They got together in the home, under a tree, someplace. They didn't, they didn't have buildings like this, air conditioning, you know, forget it, lights. They, they got together wherever they could, from house to house, the Bible said. But their worship was not just corporate. I believe their worship was also spontaneous. It was extemporaneous. It was continuous. It was a lifestyle of worship. It doesn't say that they worship, they praise God and enjoyed favor of all people on Sunday mornings from 10 to 11.30. It says that they, they praise God and enjoy favor of all people, meaning that it was a lifestyle for them. They didn't need the band to strike, strike up a, a chord for them to worship. They didn't need to get together with other believers to sing songs corporately, even though this is all good and fine and necessary. They praise God all day, every day. Why did they do that? Because their worship was an overflow of what was in their hearts. Hear me, church. Hear me today. Wake up, church. Listen to me. I'm going to have you guys stand up in a few minutes and stretch so we can, I can buy another five minutes of your time here. I'm seeing some of you doze off. So wake up. Wake up. All right? Worship is not an event. It's a lifestyle because it comes out of a heart. It comes out of a relationship. It comes out of what's going on. But here's, here's, here brings me to another point here with what worship isn't. Worship is not a religious exercise. Hear me. Re worship is not a religious exercise. I will now lift my hands. I will now lower my hands. I will now sit down. I will now stand up. I will now... Worship is not a religious... We do that, but we can become robots if we're not careful. Because worship is not a religious exercise. Opening your mouth and singing words with others on the screen without a heart connection to the one that you're singing to is not worship. 
It's just singing together. We can sing Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care. It would be the same difference because there's no connection. We might as well just break out the bingo cards and play bingo if that's what we're going to do because there's no connection. We just blah, 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 blah. It starts here, it comes out here, and it never connects here. That's not worship, guys. Worship is here, yeah. Praise in the spirit with understanding and a worship with this sort of heart relationship because true worship is not dry religion, but true worship is intimate relationship. You hear me? True worship is intimate relationship. We sing to Jesus because of who he is. We sing to Jesus because of what he's done. Now, let me just tell you here real quick. Who is Jesus? Jesus is holy. Hear me, church. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is king. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is the ultimate treasure. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the first. Jesus is the last. Jesus is the alpha. Jesus is the omega. Jesus is worthy. That's who Jesus is. Now, what has Jesus done? Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our restorer. Jesus is our reconciler. Jesus is our strength. Jesus is our guide. Jesus is our conqueror. This is what Jesus has done for you and for me. And that's why we worship for who he is and for what he's done. And if we're just singing songs and it never engages with the heart, it's just words, church. It's just words. Why do we worship? Why do we sing songs? When we realize who Jesus is and what he's done for us and we let that remain at the forefront of our hearts and our minds, we can push this religious function, this tradition aside and we can more fully engage from a heart of reverence and gratitude and love as we experience an intimate relational connection with Jesus that moves beyond the outward robotics to deep heartfelt expressions. Whether it be corporate gatherings like we do here on Sunday mornings or whether it be in our day-to-day along the way, which should be all the time, continually. Jesus described his relationship with us as a shepherd to a sheep. I mentioned this last Sunday in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus saying this. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Oh, what a, the intimate, beautiful relationship that is there. Just picture that. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. This relationship requires continual closeness. This is the only way that we can discern his authentic voice from counterfeits. I want to know his voice. How about you? I want to have a relationship with him so that whenever I hear a voice, I know that that's his voice and not some counterfeit that's trying to fool me and lead me down the path of destruction over a cliff somewhere or in a trap. I want to know his voice. The only way that I can do that is to spend time with him in intimate relationship. You might say, well, I wish I could sing so I could worship the way that you're describing. I wish that I could just sing beautiful songs, which leads us to another thing that worship isn't. Because worship isn't just singing. Worship is not just singing. Psalm 100 verses 1 through 5 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Everybody say noise. Yeah. 
and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All you lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. There's that. So there's a singing part. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He that's made us and not we ourselves. We're His people, the sheep of His pasture. We enter into His gates with thanksgiving. So that's not singing. That's giving thanks. That's expressing things. We enter into His courts with praise. I mean, praise, we just think praise is like, okay, I'm going to sing a song. Praise is not singing songs. It's, it includes it, but it's not exclusive to it. Be thankful unto the Lord. We bless his name for the Lord is good. Amen. His mercies are everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. God has given some of, some of us in this congregation, some of us in the church, big C church, the ability to sing skillfully. He's given some of us the ability to, with a pleasing pitch and a tone and a rhythm. Others of us, we literally make a joyful noise. And that's okay, by the way. Because here's what happens. God does not hear those off notes, those off rhythms, the little pitchy stuff. He doesn't hear that. He, there's, the worldly measurement of excellence is not God's measurement of excellence. Because what he's hearing is not the tone of your voice or the off notes, but he's hearing your heart. Do you hear me this morning? He hears your heart. So sing to the Lord. Praise him with all that you've got. And if it's off... It's off from the world standards, but by the time it gets to him, by the time it gets to the throne, which is instantaneous, there's some sort of filter that it goes through because it goes through the heart, and it's just this sweet symphony of praise in his ears. He just smiles from ear to ear saying, ah, now there's a child who loves me because it's coming from your heart. I don't care if you sing the best excellent. I mean, there's a lot of good singers out there in the world today that are excellent, but they're hollow. They're not anointed. There's nothing there because there's, their worship and all is misplaced. You, you can sing the best, be the best singer in the world, but if, you're not, if there's not a heart connection to the Lord, then so what? So what? It's just a bunch of noise. That's right. Psalm, it's, it's, it, it's, and it's, it's wasted effort. Psalm 149, verse 1 through 4 says this. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. And music to him with timbrel and harp. Well, there's some tambourines and some drums and some stringed instruments going on in there, too. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. So worship is singing, yeah. But worship is also playing instruments. Worship is dancing. Worship is clapping. Worship is shouting. Worship is celebration. That's what worship is. It's an expression of your heart. Gratitude, joy, I don't know, concern, whatever it is that's going on in your heart, man, you just say, Lord, I give this to you. I give you my anxiety. I give you my thanks. I give you my fears. I give you my joy. I give you everything. I give you my all. I c it's coming from my heart to you. I worship you for who you are and what you've done. And he says, yeah. And you know what? He doesn't need your worship. You need to worship him. He he's not getting anything. I mean, he enjoys it. But it's not making him more Lord. It's not making him more glorious. It's not making him more holy. It doesn't like bring him up a few more notches of kingship in his life. I mean, he's at the top. He's there the whole way in every category. Worship simply is an expression from us to him because we need to worship him. It gives us a perspective. It takes our eyes of what's going on in the world. 
It helps us to realize that we're not God, <laughs> and He is. It's an expression of our hearts. You know, the world knows how to do all these things. Think about it. You've ever seen these people that just are at these concerts, and they're jumping up and down, and whoo, 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 shouting and singing, right? Hollering and clapping, high-fiving each other because some dude's up there or some gal's up there doing whatever they're doing, singing a song that has nothing to do with nothing about God. But there's an, ex, there's, a, there's, a, there's an innate sort of thing going on. And it says, man, we're together and we're doing this and we're having a good time. It's hollow, though. It's just wasted effort because they're dancing to Taylor Swift or whatever's going on up there. I mean, they're worshiping her or him, whatever, whoever they may be up there in these concerts or sporting events. And they scored a touchdown. Hey, we're high five, you know. <laughs> That guy's making millions of dollars and you had to pay 50 bucks for a, a, a hot dog, you know? So, okay, whatever. <laughs> Celebrate. But you know what? Jesus, we have a real reason to shout. We have a real reason to dance. We have a real reason to sing. We have a real reason to play. We have a real reason to celebrate. We have a real reason to praise. A real reason. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of sin. He's washed us clean. He, he's placed upon us a robe of righteousness. He's restored us back to right relationship with God the Father. Where would we be without Jesus? Amen? And with a sure promise of eternity in heaven one day. Think about that. I mean, it looks like bonus land, right? We have a reason, church, to shout. We have a reason to dance. We have a reason to praise. We have a reason to celebrate. I think somebody needs to shout praise to the Lord right now. Come on, make a joyful noise to the Lord right now. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on, make a, you don't have to sing it. Just make a joyful noise. Yeah. Yeah. We have a reason to celebrate. You know, but beyond singing, and shouting and dancing. We can and we must worship Jesus in our time of prayer. So there's singing. There's also prayer. Prayer is vital. Prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is our hotline. Prayer is our direct line to Jesus. Worship is singing, but also worship is also prayer. Prayer is a direct communication with Jesus that he's given us. Prayer expresses our hearts, our concerns, our hopes, our fears appreciation, our love to Jesus in a way that sometimes no song can because it's, it's really a personal heart cry. I mean, you're not, you're not singing someone else's lyrics even though they may resonate with you, you know, that the Lord gave them those lyrics and maybe it blesses, but sometimes you can kind of sing your own song to the Lord, right? A song of lament, a song of joy, a song of concern, a song of praise, whatever that song would be, that heart cry, you know, that prayer that you pray to him. And so many, it seems like, in our, talk about this religious function, there's, there's these pre-written scripts that we chant together in some churches. And I, I, I'm not diminishing that their love for the Lord. I'm just saying that sometimes, you know, I don't understand how we can read off something that someone else has read and it have a heart connection. You know, I mean, if, if you're reading it and it has a heart connection, then yeah, do it. But those personal times with the Lord, you know, where you're crying out to the Lord from the depths of, of who we are to Him and our current station in life, whatever that may be. And you may say, well, Pastor, I don't even know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. Well, guess what? 
The Holy Spirit knows what to pray. Hear me today, church. The Holy Spirit knows what to pray. The Holy Spirit in you knows what to pray. I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. It says, in the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what, to, what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I'm going to just kind of condense this by saying, again, if you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit knows what to pray through you. And in fact, that's the most potent prayer you can pray. is to let him pray through you back to the Father. Because he knows exactly what to pray that's going to be the solution, the help, the strength, the guidance that you need. The Bible describes two specific ways that we can pray. Listen to this. We pray in the Spirit, and we pray with understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, so what shall I do? I'll pray in my Spirit. That's good. I need to pray in the Spirit. But I'll also pray with understanding. That's good. We need to do that too. So I will sing with the Spirit, and I'll also sing with my understanding. So there's a couple of ways that we can pray, a couple of ways that we can sing. Listen to this. When we pray in the Spirit, now folks, we're a Pentecostal church, okay? We're a Spirit-filled body of believers here. So when we pray in the Spirit, when we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the yielding of the Holy Spirit, in the unction of the Holy Spirit, we yield our tongues. You know when you do, when you yield something, that means you give place to it. You, you, you give permission to a person or entity. And in, in this case, we yield to the Holy Spirit. Here, Holy Spirit, take my tongue. I give you my tongue. I give you my mind. I yield to you my mind. So that's another thing, the tongue, the mind. I yield to you my emotions. I yield to you my will. That's a hard one. I yield to you my will. And really, I yield to you my heart. That really just kind of everything in our lives. I yield to you this from head to toe, this way and this way, everything that has to do with me, my entire entity, Holy Spirit, I yield this to you. My life, won't you now pray through me? Won't you now worship through me? Won't you now help me to understand the will of the Father? Won't you pray, Holy Spirit, through me? back to the Father. Have you ever known, have you ever not known what to pray? Anybody? I just don't know what to pray. Yeah, same. Well, the beautiful thing is you need, you know you need to pray, but you're not sure what to pray, and the Holy Spirit can pray through you exactly what to pray. Here's, here's maybe a little template that maybe you can um, write down or catch some of this. As you pray, just say something like this. Just say, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to pray right now but I need you to pray through me. So Lord, I, I, Holy Spirit, I now yield to you my tongue. I yield to you my mind. I yield to you my heart. I yield to you my will. I yield my spirit to you. I don't know what to pray. You pray through me. That's a simple prayer right there. You can pray that, and then from there, just sit back and wait for the words it may not even be out loud. It may be loud, out loud words. It may be words that you understand in English. It may be words that you don't understand in a prayer language. It may be groans that are just kind of utterances, kind of like deep, sort of, almost like you're giving birth or something. You know, it's just that sense of, just that unction, that utterance that you don't even know what you're saying. But there's groanings that are there. There's just, a, it may be just totally silent, but inside, you know there's something going on and you're praying in your mind and you're just, it's just going up to heaven. The Holy Spirit can do all, don't limit the Holy Spirit to just one type of prayer, one way to pray. 
allow him to pray through you in all the different ways that he wants to. In other words, again, you've yielded your entire being to him. So let him pray through you. So when you do this, the Holy Spirit's going to pray the will of the Father. Did you know that? That's the beautiful thing about this. When you yield to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit prays the will of the Father. How many wants God's will in your life? How many wants God's will in this earth? So when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you're praying the will of the Father. Because the Holy Spirit is not going to pray against the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit is going to glorify the Father. So when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you're praying the will of the Father. And here's what's going to happen. Your spirit is going to bear witness with what the Spirit of the Lord is praying through you. And this may be kind of elementary for some of you all, you know, you've known this for decades. Some of you, this may be brand new. It's good to be reminded though, isn't it? Right? That when we pray, he's gonna, we're gonna, the Holy Spirit's going to pray the will of the Father and, the, and it's going to bear witness with our spirit. See, he's not only going to speak through you, but he's also going to speak to you. Oh, that's beautiful when he does that. You may speak in an unknown tongue, that speaking in tongues, you may groan in your spirit, never utter a word audibly, but as you yield, you'll know exactly what the spirit is saying through you and saying to you, and he'll confirm it in your heart. You'll just know. You can rest in it. There's such a peace in this knowing as the Holy Spirit provides you this, this peace that passes, the Bible talks about, that passes all understanding that will rule your heart. And will rule your mind. In other words, your emotions and your thinking as you pray in the Spirit. But you can also pray with understanding. That's where you pray God's Word. How do you pray in understanding? Uh, Pastor, I don't know what to pray. Then take that Bible that you have in your hands and you begin to pray God's Word. So worship is not just singing, although it includes singing. Worship is also prayer. But also worship is is, is, is declaring God's word. You pray with that understanding. You pray God's promises. You pray God's power. You pray God's authority. You declare God's word in a powerfully effective way when you pray. Pray God's word. Of course, you can't pray it if you don't know it. Hear me, church. Which means that our worship isn't just singing. It's not just praying. But it's digging into and consuming God's word. Consume God's word. Consume it. Just like you're getting ready to consume some lunch today. You consume God's word. You prioritize breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Prioritize God's word and consume it every day so you'll know what to pray. Psalm 119. Listen, I'm going to read three different sections of verses here that all point to this. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's consuming God's word. I got you in here, God. I got your word in here. That way I'll know that when I'm getting ready to say or do or think or, or act upon something, I know the Holy Spirit is going to say, now that's a sin. Don't you do it. I've hidden your word in my heart, so I know that that's not right, and the Spirit's going to bear witness with that. All right? So here's the next one. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21 says, fix these words of mine on your heart and minds. Tie them as a symbol to your hands and bind them on your foreheads. I mean, I love it. Let's just put a box right here. And I think that's what they did back then. If I saw some pictures, they put this little box right here, strapped it around their heads like a headband, and they put the Word of God right there. I mean, they took that literally back in the day. They still do some of them, yeah. 
So, but that, that's what he's wanting us to do. He's wanting us to take and kind of get this, put this box in front of you can imagine and get this, you know, this decorative strap, whatever you want to do. Dudes, I mean, you can make it like masculine, ladies, feminine, but put a strap there, whatever you want to do in your mind right now. Ladies can have the pink ones. The guys can have like the leather stuff, like, you know. But put the word of God right there so that it's right on the forefront of your mind. Not somewhere in the back, rattling around in the back somewhere trying to get out. But keep it right here at the forefront so it's the very first thing that comes to your mind as you're trying to make decisions, as you're facing temptations, as you're dealing with struggles. I got God's word right here. Why? Because I've consumed it. I've partaken of the Lord and I've tasted and I've seen that he is good. Then it says, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. That's a lifestyle, isn't it? It's not just Sunday morning. You say, well, okay, he preached a good word and there's a few scriptures there and then the rest of the week, you don't, open, you don't even crack the book. If this is the only food you're getting, you're starving to death and you're ripe for attack and defeat and failure in your walk and relationship with the Lord. You will not be the church church that you need to be if you're not feeding yourself throughout the week. So you teach them to your children. Parents, how are you doing that with your children? How are you doing? Are you, are you prioritizing teaching God's word to your kids? Age appropriate, of course. Where they can understand it. But are you, are you putting God's word in front of your kids? Are you living it before them? When you walk along the road or driving in the car, when you lie down, when you get up, that means all day throughout the day. It's the last thing you do when you lay down. It's the first thing you do when you get up, right? It's just right there, that box. Write them on the door frames of your house. So when you walk in, man, this is the house of the Lord. And this is, this is God's holy place right here. I'm going to take away those sayings, that music, that stuff that's in the, on the walls, the little artifacts and stuff that are not glorifying God, that are Buddhas. and all, Buddha is not cute. Right? If you've got a little Buddha statue at your house or some other sort of stupid little statue like that of some cult, something that's not honoring God, I promise you, you better throw that away. I mean, clean house. Clean out the music. Get all the words that are out there that have all that trashy lyrics in it. Let the house that you live in be God's house as well. And that's not just talking about your physical structure, but also here. What are you putting in? I've heard this. You've heard me say this before. Junk in, junk out. You get God's word in there, God's word's going to come out. You get old nasty lyrics and all that other sort of trash that's in the world in here, it's going to come out. It will. In your actions, in your thoughts, in your words, in your priorities, in your decisions, and everything that you do and every choice that you make. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days, here's a promise. If you do this, it says so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land of the Lord. That's a promise. Think about that. That's a conditional promise. You prioritize God's word in your family, in your life. You consume God's word. The days are going to go well with you, and the days are going to go well with your children. How many wants to go well in your life, right? Yeah? Two, three of you. How many wants to go well with your children? More. Okay, so good. So we have some people that don't want it to go well with their children, and some, a lot of them, you don't want to go well with you. But I'm assuming, I'm hoping that I just caught you off guard there. How many want it to go well in your life? Okay, most of you. Still some of you is like, no, I'm not doing it, Pastor. You're not going to manipulate my, I'm just, I'm just... I'm not going to do it. Fine. Okay. Well, God bless you. 
so that the days and the days of your children may be many in the land of the Lord, swore to your ancestors, as many of the days at the heavens are above the earth. Man, I just want that. I, I want that. I mean, life is challenging enough without a relationship with the Lord, without God's word in our hearts, without the Holy Spirit. Life is tough enough, isn't it? I can't imagine anybody living without Jesus. But they do, and that's why they go to the alcohol and the drugs and the relationships and the things and all that. They just try to medicate themselves and all that. Man, a relationship with Jesus. Here's the third verse. Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Inside of you. Let the word of God, in other words, the message of Christ, the goodness of Jesus, dwell in you richly. Not unflavorfully. When you eat something that's rich, how many's ever had a piece of chocolate that's just like really chocolatey? It's like, ooh, that's rich. Some rich dessert, right? Like that death by chocolate stuff, you know? It's like, ugh. I love it, but I can only have like two bites at a time and I'll set it aside for later because it's so rich, right? Those dishes that are so rich. That's how we need to live our lives with God's word. It's so rich that we just barely scratch the surface and here comes God's word. You know, something happens in our, and someone's in need struggling, here comes God's word. We're not giving an opinion. Well, you know, Dr. Phil said this. No, it's God's word says this. The first thing that comes out of our mouth should be, this is what God's word says about my life, about my kid's life, my spouse, my family, my friends, my other church members, total strangers, co-workers, you name it. I want the word of God to dwell richly in me. How about you? I want the word of God to dwell richly in me. How about you? Okay, then. Let it dwell richly in you as you teach and admonish one another. The purpose of why we have God's word is not only to help us, but it's outwards to others. I'm going to teach, which means encourage, and admonish, which means to kind of, uh-uh, don't you do that. That's an admonishment. That's wrong. Don't do that. Do this. It's all right to admonish. Kind of that's what I'm doing this morning, but I'm also trying to encourage. We teach and we admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, through hymns, through songs, from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. There's a lot of richness right in there. It just emphasizes, man, I'm going to revolve my life around the Word of God. This nation was founded upon the Word of God. The Constitution was written based on the things of God's Word, the principles of God's Word. That's, that's why there's so many people in this nation that are doing their best to try to get rid of the Constitution because it, it's, it's, it's these walls and these hurdles and these, these obstacles that are in front of them to move forward with what they want to do to live vile and sinful and all that sort of thing. Thank God for the Constitution, but thank God for the Word of God that inspired the Constitution, right? So all these verses speak to the urgent priority to keep God's Word as the central focus of what we daily consume. When you don't know what to pray, you can yield to the Holy Spirit and pray God's word. Do this and your prayer times will be much, much more potent. Can I have a few more minutes with you this morning? Okay, the rest of you can just scoot on out, but I'm going to preach anyway. Okay. Jesus gave us a template on how to pray when we pray. This is going to take a few minutes, but I want you to write this down. It's a very common. It's the, it's the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I want to go through it very quickly here. He says, this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We know that probably from memory we could do those, do that scripture, right? Some of us. So here it is. Just real quick, write this down. When you pray, begin with thanks. When you pray, not if you pray. Please, not if. When, all right? That means we're gonna pray. 
And when we pray, start with thanks. Don't go right into, God, I'm struggling here. I need your blessing. I need your healing. I need your touch. Don't start there. Start with praise. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's just a simple act of Jesus. You are who you are. I worship you for who you are and for what you've done in my life. You're awesome. You're worthy to be praised. Just start with praise. It kind of just sets the tone, doesn't it? He deserves our praise. We fix our gaze on him. Then we pray as will be done in the world and in our lives. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want so desperately for our will to be done, don't we? Man, we struggle with that. Jesus, I want this and I want it now and I want it in this particular way, just like this. And if it doesn't happen that way, in my time and in my way, then, man, I'm, who are you? I mean, is this, are you even real? Do you even care? Well, who's being God there, right? It's his will be done. He's God in this dynamic here, not me. So when I pray to him, I better pray your will be done. I'm so thankful that God sees the big picture. He knows the end from the beginning, the Bible says. He knows what's best for us. You know, Kelly and I, it's, it's been our goal to never do something and ask God to bless it. Instead, we want to, we've tried to find out what God's wanting to bless and then do it. See the difference there? All right, God, I'm going to do this, now bless it. He's like, Man, I, that's not what I want to bless. You didn't even ask me. And there's all kinds of examples in the Old Testament where these children of Israel went out and they just fought battles and they lost miserably because they never asked for God's opinion, direction, help. He, they didn't ask God, what do you want to do? They just did it and said, what's going on? Multiple examples. Then there's multiple examples where they did ask God and he said, either do this or do that. And they did exactly like he said. And it was a slam dunk. That's not their in the Bible for us to go, well, man, that was awful for them. Too bad for them, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. That's there for us so that we can learn from their mistakes and not do that way. So when you want something to happen in your life, it takes longer, it's, it's, it's harder, you want to die to yourself more because your will is saying, man, I want it done this way, me, me, mine. But this is the way to do it. Find out what God wants to bless and then do that. You hear me? Find out what God wants to bless in your life and then do that. It'll take longer. It's not going to happen the way you want it. It's not going to happen in your time and in your way. I promise you it won't. <laughs> it never does because he's going to squeeze and milk and work and all the stuff out of you through the process. He's not going to be like a Pez dispenser where you just hit like B7 and out pops this little candy thing and it's like, yeah, I got God's plan for my life. Hallelujah. I mean, you're going to have to hit B7 and then Shake the machine a little bit, you know, and say, Lord, what's going on? When are you going to do something? How many ever been in that situation where you have no idea how long this is going to take? But has he come through? How many have also said, Lord, I'm glad I waited because he came through, right? If you're in a situation right now, know this. God is consistent. God is faithful. What he did before, he'll do again. It's always in his time and in his way, but know this. He knows what's best. He knows the end from the beginning. So trust him with this thing. Sometimes it's a trial and error process, but I promise you as we stay tuned with the voice of the Lord and we don't force the issue, he's going to guide us in those blessed paths that he has assigned for us. And then we can move into asking the Lord to provide for our daily needs. That could be food, that could be shelter, that could be clothing. We think about stuff like that, but also it could maybe be your need for peace. Maybe it's your need for 
some sort of reconciliation or maybe some sort of healing or some sort of strength that you need in your life or some guidance or maybe even that daily Raymond now word that he wants to give you in, his, in, in, in your time with, in his word as you're feeding your soul from that banqueting table of God's riches of his word. So much more to this because we also, see, we also need to do our part in this. And let me just give you an example for that. We want him to provide for our needs, right? Uh, do we trust the Lord to provide for our needs? Do, do we? Yeah, absolutely. So we might be, ex- maybe you're in your life, you might be ex- some experiencing some devouring right now in your life, some sort of devouring. Satan is out devouring, roaming like a roaming lion, you know, the roaring lion devouring, seeking whom he may devour. Maybe there's some devouring going on in your life, some sort of striving. And let's just use specifically the example of your finances. Maybe you feel like you have more month than money. Maybe the ends don't just seem, they don't seem to be meeting in your life. God does say he's going to rebuke the devourer on your behalf. You know that scripture in Malachi. But we also have a part to play in it. In fact, let me read Malachi 3.11. Many of us like to stand on promises like this, and here's one of them. Malachi 3.11 says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord. In other words, he's going to rebuke the devourer on your behalf. We think, praise God, he's going to rebuke the devourer on my behalf. I can just trust in the Lord, he's going to do that. But we conveniently don't read the first few verses before that, which says this. Will a mere mortal rob God, says verse 8? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room, uh, 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 that there'll not be room enough to store it. I will, and then we go, I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vine in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. See, that, we like to focus on that last part, but that first part's a little uncomfortable for us. Let me just get real plain with you this morning. If you don't tithe, you're eating your seed. This is not a tithing message, by the way, and you don't really ever hear me preach about tithing as a message in itself. And you guys, most of you are really good about your tithe, but there's some of you I know that are struggling in this way. So let me just be really plain with you. If you don't tithe, you're eating your seed. If you don't sow into the ground in the natural and in the spiritual, then nothing but weeds is going to come up. How many knows what I'm talking about? It has a garden, right? If you don't stick that pumpkin in the ground, a pumpkin ain't going to come out. What's going to come out? Weeds. You don't have to do anything for weeds. It just pops up. You got to stick something in the ground in order for that thing to come out eventually. If you don't tithe, the Bible says, you're under a curse. If you don't tithe, you're exposed. If you don't tithe, you're on your own. Don't come to God asking Him to provide for your daily bread if you haven't done your part, if you haven't sown into the ground. The Bible says He will rebuke the devourer in your life, but you must also walk in obedience to the tithe. This is an example among many in the Bible. If any of you come to me with financial need or struggle, which has happened often in our time here, the first thing that I ask Anybody that comes to me, I ask them, are you tithing? And I promise you, as they're struggling in their finances, and they come to me 100% of the time, 100% of the time, the answer has always been no. And they give me reasons why. Can't afford it. And I say, well, you can't afford not to. You, know, they're, 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 you can give me all kinds of excuses, but there's no reason. Um, so we start from there, and I encourage them to, to do so. Some do, some don't but that's their choice and they live with their decision. 
but we can also tithe, but then we can charge ourselves into bankruptcy. So you can say, well, Pastor, I've, I've tithed all these years. Yeah, how, how, how are you managing your credit cards? Are, are you getting into debt? You know, see, we, we, can, we can ask God, hey, listen, Lord, I'm tithing, but you're rebuking the devourer. Yeah, but you're also not walking in faith because you're overspending. You're, you're, you're committing your future finances and, you know, and paying 27% interest on stuff that you, know, you paid 100 bucks for and you're going to pay 500 bucks for by the time the interest kicks in over the years. This is foolishness. So we got to do our part, right? We tithe, but we also have discipline. We also trust the Lord. And it's not just with our money. Also, how about eating and exercise? God, heal my body. Yeah, well, how are you doing with your exercise and eating? Are you overeating? Or are you just sitting around watching TV all day? You're not, we got to eat right. We got to exercise, right? God, heal my body. He says, okay, I'll do my part. You do your part. You take care of the temple and I'll come in and restore. How about maybe some sort of relationship? God, I just want my relationship restored. Well, are you being difficult? Are you being irritable? Are you being hard to get along? Are you walking in unforgiveness? How can, how can he restore a relationship when you're not doing your part? Makes sense, doesn't it? And the list goes on and on, and we must do our part. If we bring God a great big mess, he's not going to wave some sort of magic wand and make it all go away. He will forgive our sins. That is immediate. But there's always repercussions that we need to work through when it comes to the other stuff. And he teaches us through those things. We walk through the process with him. We trust him to redeem us, to restore us, to provide for us as we do our part. And then we move to the next part in this, mess, uh, in this prayer that he, he gave us as an example. That we ask him to forgive us our trespasses, which is our sins, as we also forgive others who've trespassed against us. Uh, here's a good prayer that we pray. Lord, Lord, if there be anything in me that you're not pleased with, just show me. Expose it. Help me to walk in repentance. That's a good prayer. But then I love how Jesus adds this at the end. I didn't read it, but he adds this in the next verse. He adds this sort of caveat that we must forgive to the level that we're forgiven. How does Jesus forgive, by the way? 90%? How does Jesus forgive? 99%? That one thing that he's holding against you, right? Is that he takes care of everything else with that one thing. No, it's 100%, isn't it? He, he forgives completely. Aren't you thankful for that? Oh, he holds nothing against us. We are covered in the blood. 100% of our sins are gone. They're wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. Thank God for that, amen? Not so easy for us. We should also forgive to that level. We forgive to the level that we've been forgiven. We walk in love and forgiveness. And by the way, walking in love and forgiveness is the core of our identity with Christ Jesus. He commands us to forgive. In fact, if you read Matthew 6.15, he says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive. Matthew 6.15 says, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And we can just kind of blow through that verse right there, but I think, can we just pause for a second or two on this? Because this should be such a sobering verse for each of us today. I... I want you to just think about if you are walking in unforgiveness right now towards somebody, God's not going to forgive you. This the, it's the ultimate act of arrogance for us to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I've done some awful stuff, haven't we? Haven't we, church? We've done some awful things, haven't we? Unforgivable stuff, but yet he says, I forgive. I got you. 100%. Thank you. I 
can't believe you did that to me. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you're that way to me. I will never forgive you. It's the ultimate act of arrogance, isn't it? It's hypocrisy. But we do it all the time. It's a sobering verse. We may think that we're forgiven by God. But let me just say very plainly, if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Will not. It's a choice he makes because it's a choice you've made. Is that sobering enough to all of us today? It is for me. Man, let it go. Some of us, I hope this is not the case, but some of us may have a rude awakening one day when we stand before him and he says, depart from me for I never knew you. Why? Because we've chosen to harbor unforgiveness towards others. We've never resolved it. Anything else in this message, I hope that you'll remember maybe this one more than anything. Forgive. Let it go. And finally, Jesus instructs us to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This really speaks to God's protection from Satan in our lives. Aren't you thankful that we're covered by the power and the protection of Jesus Christ? Amen? This directs our awareness to the fact that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he knows our weaknesses, and he's going to relentlessly try and lure us away from Jesus into this pit of sin that he has designed for us. The Bible says he's always going to give us a way of escape. Always. And he's going to help us to walk a life of holiness and righteousness in him. But praying it, praying this template prayer that he's given us from our hearts reminds us that we can't do this on our own. Church, I know our flesh is weak. Our power is limited. Our abilities max out pretty quickly. But in Christ's strength, the Bible says we can do all things, including resisting the enemy. Do you hear me today? James 4, 7 says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist him. We submit to God, we resist the devil, and the result is Satan gets out of there. For a while, he'll come back later on and try to visit another way. But at that moment, he's gone. So as we wrap this thing up here today, Emma, could you come up? In these last days before the return of Jesus... What's the purpose of the church? Why do we exist? Why are we here today? Has our assignment changed from its original instructions? Has it? No. Jesus gave these final instructions in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of this age, meaning the church age, the He's going to be with us until the trumpet sounds. Now, this is what he didn't say. He didn't say, okay, do this for a while and then just take the foot off the accelerator and coast the rest of the way. I didn't see that anywhere in, in my Bible. He didn't say, all right, pick and choose what you like, pick and choose what you're comfortable with, and whatever fits in your schedule or in your wheelhouse, do that and just kind of ignore the rest. He didn't say that. He didn't say, get saved, but then do absolutely nothing to tell anyone about me. Just sit tight until you die or until I return. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'll be back after a while and give you some different instructions, but for now, I just do this. I'll be back to fill in some other stuff, maybe change and alter. No. What he said back then 
is the same as it is now. His instructions were succinct. His instructions were ongoing. His instructions were final. The assignment of the church is to point people to Jesus. It's been ongoing now for nearly 2,000 years. And in spite of the opposition and the attempts to shut it down and destroy it over the decades and generations, thousands of years, it's been an attempt to silence its voice, silence its voice and marginalize it. Church, I'm here to declare to you today that the church of Jesus Christ will not go away. The church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, will not be marginalized. We will not be silent. And more so, we're going to be victorious because we are victorious until Jesus takes his cherished bride home in the rapture. We walk in ultimate victory. You read the end of the book in Revelation, we win. Okay? Matthew 16, 18 says, I tell you this, Peter, that on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus has built his church and no matter what Satan tries to throw at it and it's bore out over the last 2,000 years. He's throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, at the church and it's not just survived, it has thrived and will continue to do so until the trumpet sounds. Amen? I believe we're the terminal generation. I believe before Jesus returned. We have the privilege of seeing these last days prophecies being fulfilled right before our eyes. And we're privileged to be part of this last great harvest of souls. And we have a responsibility, church, to finish strong for Jesus. Worship isn't just singing. It's also praying. It's spending time in God's Word. It's, it's relationship, intimate, daily, vital relationship with Jesus. It's a selfless giving of our lives for the cause of Christ. The greatest act of worship that we can give to the Lord today and tomorrow and the next day and every moment of our lives is a selfless, loving Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and then to selflessly take that love to others as we go through our days.